I want to welcome those watching online from coast to coast and across the Fruited Plains. My name is Joe. I'm the pastor here at Lynchburg City Church. If God puts it on your heart to give to the church, you can do so by going to lynchburgcitychurch.com. Pray with me, guys. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you, God. How marvelous to think that we love you because you first loved us. Wow. Thank you. Lord, I, I think of the president right now. I pray for wisdom and grace. I pray uh, that you would help him make good decisions. I pray that you would protect his health, uh, his mental faculties, Lord, and that you would guide him. You would help him. He needs your help, Lord. He really needs your help. Lord, for Leah Sherabu being held by Boko Haram in Nigeria, Pastor Yusuf imprisoned in Iran, and Pastor Wang and John imprisoned in China, Lord, for the Christians, Lord, in North Korea, in Afghanistan, in Eritrea, in Somalia, in the South Sudan, in Nigeria, Lord, for the Christians in Ukraine, in Russia, help them, Lord. And right now we remember those who are in chains as if in chains with them. Please help them, God. For Vladimir Putin, we pray that you would save him and that you would confuse and frustrate his plans. Lord, for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, those serving all around the world, we, we pray for their safety. And we pray that you would save them. Those, so many of those guys, they don't know you, Jesus. Talk about an unreached people group. Please save them. And today, Lord, I, I pray that you would help me to say only what you want me to say. If there's something that I shouldn't say, don't let me say it. And if there's something I need to say that I have no intention of saying, I, I pray that you'd give me a word. I pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Help us, God, to hear from you today. Encourage our hearts today. Convict us today. We, we need you. We need you, Lord. So free us from whatever distractions might be going on. We pray this in your name. Amen. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, 
For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I love Luke chapter 12. I love, that's why I memorized that piece of scripture. Because I don't know if you're anything like me. And fear and worry and anxiety is something you're dealing with on a monthly basis, if not weekly. And for that reason, I need to hear Luke chapter 12 regularly. I need to be able to preach it to myself. And, and here's the thing about Jesus' disciples. His disciples are not immune from fear. His disciples are not immune from worry or anxiety. And you know what Jesus doesn't say to them? He doesn't say to his disciples, let's see, guess just go have more faith. He doesn't say, or the classic, just don't worry. Just don't worry. Now, let me be clear. It's, it's not a bad thing to say those things. It's not a bad thing to say, don't worry, or just, you got to have more faith. But I'll tell you what, in those moments, I find that I, I need more than that. In those moments, I need more than that. I need to be reminded in those moments of the massive promises of God in order to combat the fear and the anxiety that's plaguing me. And I'll be very upfront with you guys today. Um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, the application of this story is going to fall very short. Jesus is addressing his disciples. Therefore, if I tell you, if you're not a Christian today, you need to become a Christian today. You need to trust Jesus today. You need to repent of your sins today. Well, here's what he says. He starts off, verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. God feeds them. Now remember, this is an agricultural society. Agricultural society. So imagine you're working nine to five, and then you take your leftover paycheck, if there's anything left, and then you stash it somewhere, right? You put it in your checking account. You, know, you put it in your high-yield savings account. You put it in your 401k contribution. That's what's going on here. They don't have a storehouse or a barn. Because that's what farmers would do. Take the harvest. You've got to stash it somewhere. I'm going to put it in my checking, okay? my storehouse, my barn, right? my savings. He's saying, birds don't do that. And I feed the birds. And they do okay and you're more valuable than birds. Therefore, it stands to reason, he's got you. He's got you. You don't have to be afraid. And in case that's not clear enough, notice what he says next. Verse 25, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. I don't know, have you ever had a conversation with someone in which you inquired about their week? You say, what was the most productive part of your week? 
And they respond with, oh, I was super anxious, man. I got, I got some quality anxiety in, very productive. Not. No, no one would say that as if that was some good productive thing that they did because that's just stupid. But that's his whole point. Anxiety and fear and worry doesn't do anything productive. It doesn't even add a single hour for like your whole life. I mean, shoot, daylight savings time in the fall, it's more productive than all that time you spend being worried and anxious and stressed out. It's, it's not only unproductive, I'd go so far to say it's kind of silly. It's silly. I mean, just imagine, imagine 20,000 years from now, and I know some of you are going to be like, dude, where's Love Feast again, man? I, I don't, you said that like five minutes ago, okay? Imagine... 20,000 years from now. And some of us, come on, all of us, we're going to feel pretty silly about all the time we spent worrying. There we are with King Jesus, 20,000 years from now. Some of us are going to have conversations like, remember the spring of 23? Oh, dude. I wasted so much time. And he was just a boy, Right? Or she was just a girl. I was so stressed out in school and work. Or fam- Man, we were so silly. Yeah, that spring of 23 was something. I wasted a lot of it worrying about stuff. I, I remember this time early on in the church, this guy came up to me. He'd only come for, I don't know, one or two weeks. And uh, he, he asked me if one of the girls at the church was, was single. Obviously, he felt quite comfortable with me. <laughs> I didn't ask him. I was like, can, can, can you point her out? Because... He didn't know her name. He's like, oh, that girl over there. And I was like, that girl? He's like, yeah, that girl. And then I pointed again because I'm like, are we, are we pointed the same girl? He's like, yeah, yeah, that girl, that girl. You know she's single? I'm like, no, man, that's, um, that's my wife. I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Silly. Silly. Pointless. Silly and pointless. That's worry. That's what worry is. It's silly. It's pointless. 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time you spent wasted as a prisoner to your anxiety and your fear and your worry. And if this is true, just look at the next verse. If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Why? If you can't even add a single hour to your life, why would you spend any additional time worrying? It's futile. It's pointless. And so he says, verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. These beautiful little decorations of nature, they make no effort in and of themselves. They just grow. They're just awesome. And he says, Solomon, you know, the richest, wisest man with unlimited resources, he says he can't compete with them. And so the understanding is this. The understanding is, if he takes care and he clothes the lilies, and they're less valuable than birds, and then he feeds the birds, 
and they're less valuable than you, it stands to reason he's got you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to. He's got you. Man, I love this story. And so he keeps going. And if you notice, every argument he's making is going from the greater to the lesser. We started with birds. We went to lilies and now, well, now we're at grass. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, tomorrow is then thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, grass. It's pretty insignificant. Right? Regardless of what century you live in, cows eat it, we mow it, it's grass. It's grass. And then there's this reference to it being thrown into the oven. You see, in our day and age, if you want to preheat your oven, you turn a knob, maybe even have an app, you press a button, that's how you preheat the oven. In their day and age, in first century Israel, well, wood isn't readily available, so what you would do is you take something common and insignificant like grass, and you use it as kindling. That's how you preheat the oven. That's how you get the fire going. And what Jesus is saying is really an indictment against us in this context with being overly concerned with how we look and what we wear. Now, I remember when I was in high school, there was a time in which I used to put product in my hair. Not anymore, all natural. But such a time did exist. And I remember I was trying to get my hair one morning, well, every morning, I'd do this little swish thing. I realize it's more of a sound effect than a description, but, you know, a little, little swish thing. And that particular morning, I couldn't get it to do the swish. And I don't know what was going on. I just, it's like, I'm not going to school. Done. I can't go to school, Mom. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to school. Can't go. What's wrong? My hair won't do the swoosh, Mom. <laughs> this is a true story. I'm not embellishing it. I was so paralyzed by fear. I was so paralyzed by fear because I was so concerned and worried what other people would think. That's what he's getting at. But it's also important that in our response to what he's saying that we don't eh, go too far to the other extreme. We don't want to go too far to the extreme and become the person that's like, yes, Joe, amen, Joe, yes. People are overly concerned with their appearance. I totally agree. Clothes should be optional. I don't want to be that person. I, I like clothes, okay? Clothes are good. Hit the pause button there for anyone who, who, who wants to go down that route. In, in fact, it's not wrong. Jesus is not saying it's wrong that we care how we look. In, in fact, I would encourage every single one of you to practice personal hygiene to the glory of God and the joy of all men. Basic grooming standards, encourage. We encourage that at Lynchburg City Church. Deodorant, cologne, body spray, a toothbrush, a razor. I recommend all those things. If you don't own them, you should own them. You should own them. And your future wife or husband will probably agree with me if you don't right now or don't think you need them. You should invest in those things. But, but what is going on at the heart of this issue, guys, it's this fear that says, 
I can't function because I have the tentacles of worry and fear wrapped around me to such a degree that I'm paralyzed. And here's Jesus, and he's like, guys, it's just grass. I mean, come on, folks, it's just grass. Cows eat it, we mow it. It's less valuable than lilies. He clothes them. He grows them. They're less valuable than birds. He feeds them. They're less valuable than you and me. It stands to reason he's got you. You you don't have to be afraid and anxious. He's got you. Some of you hear that right now. He's got you. Some of you, the last week you've been so stressed and anxious for the last month. He's got you. He's got you. Well, here's what he says next. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Here's the challenge it's the world. The world is pulling us in a million different directions. It says, find your happiness, find your joy, find your security in everything other than Christ. Are you worried about not having food or clothing or being lonely or not having enough money? No problem. We've got something just for you. And this is where John Piper often says how the devil is mainly about good things. Saying, I've never heard that before. He's mainly about good things? Yeah. Why would you say that? Oh, he's very clever. See, you can spot obvious things. Earthquake, hurricane, tornado. You can see the bad things. They're very, very obvious. No, no, he's mainly about the good things to keep you from the best things. And if he can get at your faith and rip your faith apart by filling your life with so many good things that you take your eyes off of Christ, he'll do that all day long. And the world, they're inviting you to chase after everything other than Christ in order to suppress whatever worry or anxiety you have while in the process ignoring and forgetting the only person who's actually big enough to truly help you. And so if you're Afraid of not having enough money? Just get more money. You worried about not having food? Just get more food. Are you worried about being single? No problem, the world says. Just get yourself a relationship. I see this often living in a college town. Not with any of you guys, of course. Someone will come and talk to me. They're very upset because, well, they're 18 years old and they still don't have a boyfriend. And that's obviously very alarming to some people. And this is why I often tell people, listen, just because you can date somebody doesn't mean you should date somebody. And the world will say, regardless of what the situation is, go chase it down and it'll fix you. Go chase it, it'll fix you. I'm telling you right now what normally happens when you do that, when you follow the world's instructions and chase it down, it has a way of creating and multiplying your problems from one to a hundred, like that. And Jesus says, don't buy into it. He says, seek the kingdom. And this is where Piper's Christian hedonism comes into play, I think, in a very helpful way. And if you're not familiar with John Piper, he wrote a book called Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. 
And uh, if you're not crazy about that title, Christian Hedonism, don't worry about that either. Piper would say, forgive the title, embrace the meaning. You see, hedonism, in the old Greek sense of the word, would say, whatever brings you the most pleasure, regardless of the rightness or the wrongness of that thing, well, just chase after that. See, Christian hedonism is the idea that Christ is the center and source of all infinite joy and happiness and satisfaction, and we, sh- and we should, nay, we are commanded to pursue this, to pursue our joy in God. The psalmist would say, delight yourself in the Lord. You heard that, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. And what's interesting about this statement is we often imagine him making this suggestion as if it's optional to delight ourselves in the Lord. When in reality, it's not. In reality, it's a command. In other words, if you're not delighting yourself in the Lord, you're wrong. But the, the problem is, one of the reasons I think we struggle with this is it's what Jesus says. Seeking the kingdom first. We struggle with this because we don't really consider delighting ourselves in Christ as being even a good idea. Even the idea of enjoying Christ can be an odd thing to say. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all enjoy many things. Toys, families, relationships. But what about Christ? As the 1647 Shorter Westminster Catechism would remind us the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And you might say, how do you glorify God? How how do you make much of God? And the answer is, you glorify God when you treasure God more than anything else so that when the world and outsiders look at your life, they say, man, that guy or that girl, man, they love their car or their house or their toys or their families, but they love Christ more. This is what Jesus is getting after in this text. He says, don't buy into what the world is selling. Look to me. Keep your eyes on me. Find your anxiety-killing happiness in me. Because it's when you find it in him that you glorify him. Now, to be clear, it's, it's, not, it's not wrong to have or to hold some of the things I just rattled off, but rather they become sinful when we use them to fix fear and anxiety and worry when we look to them to fix those things. Because that's a void ultimately that only Jesus can fill. Oh, that we might seek his kingdom. Don't chase after these things. And then we come to verse 32. One of my favorites. I think it's the, the apex. The great crescendo of sorts. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He doesn't say, just don't worry. Just don't be afraid. As so often many of us do in our biblic- biblically illiterate society. Because we only have John 3.16 memorized. Maybe one other, that's it. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus knows his disciples are are prone to worry. He knows they're prone to anxiety. And his antidote, here it is, his antidote 
is not to tell them that they shouldn't worry, but to show them something bigger than their worry. To show them something bigger than their fear. To show them something bigger than their anxiety. And this is to show his followers specifically just who their God is. Fear not, little flock. You say, why does he refer to his disciples as a little flock? A sheep? Let's just pause. Pause and think about it. What are, what are sheep in the first place? They're, um, they're small. They're insignificant. They're weak. They're foolish at times. Some of you guys have seen the reel where the guy pulls the sheep out of the ditch and then he's like bounces around and five seconds later he's back in the ditch. He, he, he calls them little flock. He, he refers to them as sheep because it's true. And it's the nature of why we're afraid. You see, if you're big and you're strong, you feel powerful. You feel confident. You feel like you're in charge. You're not afraid. That's why he says, fear not little flock versus fear not little Tyrannosaurus Rex. That wouldn't make any sense. He says it's because it's true. And once again, Jesus' antidote to fear is to show his disciples something bigger than their fear. But there's some implications right here, for starters. And here's the first implication. Don't miss this. If there's sheep, there's got to be a shepherd, right? I think that's a fair implication. And um, what do we know about shepherds? Shepherds know. They know the sheep. They know the problems the sheep are facing. Our shepherd knows our problems. He knows our hurts. He knows our pains. He knows our worries some of which we haven't even told people. You know, the kind that you, where you cry yourself to sleep this past week. Those kind. He knows. But the text doesn't stop there. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. So we just learned something else. Very important. And, and we learn that we have a shepherd who knows, yes, but we have a Father who gives. Our Father, Father gives. Not, not sell, not trade, it gives. And it says it's his good pleasure. You see that? It's your father's good pleasure to give to you. It makes his day. He's pumped and excited to give to you. And he gives really good gifts, by the way. He gives the best gift. The most expensive gift ever procured came from your father at great cost to his only son. Oh, we have a shepherd who knows. We have a father who loves and cares and gives. And finally, you see this in verse 32? There's a kingdom, right? There's an implication right there. Don't miss it. If there's a kingdom, there must be this thing called a king. And what do we know about kings? They're strong. They're powerful. They're authoritative. Kings can make things happen. And that's really good news for the little sheep who are just prone to such fear. And they get scared and they're always worrying. Therefore, no fear. Therefore, you don't have to be afraid, guys. Little flock. Little flock, you get to come and enter in and enjoy the kingdom. And at this point, somebody might say, no way I get to inherit and enjoy all this. You say, that's, that's not possible. Oh, yes, it is because of the cross. That's the message of the gospel. He cleans you up. 
And it's his good pleasure to do so. You have a shepherd. You have a shepherd who knows what you're going through. You have a father who loves to give to you. And you have a king who can take care of business. Therefore, no fear. You want to fight worry and anxiety? Just preach this to yourself every day. You you read this. You memorize this text. That's how you fight it. And then he goes on and he says this. Verse 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here Jesus is going to describe two types of treasure that someone can have. Temporary earthly treasures and forever eternal treasures. And the the temporary treasures are characterized by growing old or or failing or being stolen or being destroyed versus, of course, the eternal ones. And, And those are ones that, well, they're eternal and they're found only in Christ. And the way that you get the eternal treasure or the way that you give evidence that you've received the eternal treasure is by being the sort of person that is characterized by generosity by being characterized by the same type of generosity that the Father is in verse 32, when it's his good pleasure to give. Let me be clear. It's not wrong to have things, guys. It's not wrong to have stuff. It just becomes wrong when we hold on to them so tightly that we're unable to be this type of generous person. And this is where I'll tell people, if you have earthly treasures... Cars, toys, relationships, platonic or romantic. It's not wrong. Just hold on to them like, like this. Hold on to them like this with, with open hands. See, remember when Jesus kicked this off, he tells his disciples, listen, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. And you see, here's the temptation in our desire to combat those things and our desire to have security, to fight off those things in our own strength. You know what the temptation is? The temptation and the tendency is to become reluctant to be the generous person that Jesus wants us to be. And as a result, we hold on way too tightly to these things because we're afraid of not having them. It's like here God gives me a relationship and I love my boyfriend or I love my girlfriend or I love this toy or I love this hobby or I love whatever, right? And I love it. Oh, but the thought of not having it. No, no, I can't, I can't let it go. That's a problem. That's a big problem because he says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Not wrong to have these things. It just becomes wrong when you hold onto them so tightly that you can't let them go. Because the person that can't let them go reveals and shows that he or she treasures what's in their hand more than Christ. And this is what the world tells you. They say, you're lonely? You get a relationship, right? You got that fear of being lonely? You get that relationship. You're, You're afraid of not having money? You get that money. And the world says, hold on to it tightly. Don't let it go. And then there's the temptation, right? Because if I, I let it go, I'm gonna be afraid. You got money in my hand? Offering plate comes around on Sunday. What happens if I I put the money in the offering plate and later on I need it? 
I can't put it in the, I can't let it go. What would happen in that situation? A relationship? Maybe I need to reevaluate. Platonic or romantic? What would happen if I just released my grip on it a little bit? And said, God, you do what seems best to you. But the temptation is, I can't. I can't! And the fear and the worry and the anxiety just begins to hit you. You've got to let it go. You have to let it go. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let it go. And if you can't, you reveal that there's something more than Christ that you treasure. And that you don't know Him in a saving way. And here's the good news. The good news is, you can let it go. Because Christ has already paid for something far superior than that relationship or thing or item that you're holding on to. Remember what He just said in verse 32. It's your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. He's made the reservation. The room is secure, so let go. There's nothing better in the universe and you're holding on to that thing. Let it go. See, this is where C.S. Lewis would give us the very helpful illustration. He says, the world, they're like kids playing in the ghetto making mud pies and they have no idea. They cannot imagine what it means to take a holiday out at sea. We are far too easily pleased, he would say. That's the picture, right? Kids in a rough neighborhood and they're making little mud pies, form in different shapes, Tupperware sets. He equates that. that. That's sex, money, cars, houses, whatever, right? And that's the world. They're chasing after these things. And he says, they can't even begin to imagine how much better it gets. They're that easily pleased. They would rather sit making mud pies than book a six-night, seven-day Mediterranean cruise. Are you out of your mind? Or as Mr. Piper would rightly say, it is unbelief in the promises of God that is the root of anxiety, which in turn is the root of so many other sins. If you dozed off and you want to know, and you were like, man, what was this sermon about? I'll say it one more time. It is unbelief in the promises of God that is the root of anxiety, which in turn is the root of so many other sins. You say, unbelief in the promises of God? What promises? Have you forgotten already? His antidote to his disciples' fear. Remember what he told them? He closed the grass. It's less valuable than lilies. He grows the lilies. They're less valuable than the birds. He feeds the birds. They're less valuable than you. So it stands to reason he's got you. Or have you not heard that you have a shepherd? You have a shepherd who knows your hurts and your pains and your challenges. You've got a father who loves you and he gives to you. And you have a king who is strong and make things happen. Therefore, no fear. You preach that to yourself. You don't have to be robbed of the hours in your day any longer by the tentacles of fear and worry and anxiety. So as the team comes, I want to pray for us. We love you, God. What beautiful promises 
What beautiful promises that we just got to observe in Luke chapter 12. Lord, for some of us in here, Lord, I know. I know that we are a prisoner to our own fear, worry, and anxiety. And I pray today would end right now for that person. That they would be set free today. Lord, for some of us, that you would convict us, Lord, of the idolatrous things that we're holding on to too tightly. God, you've already given us the very best thing in the world. There's there's nothing better than what you've secured for us in entering into the kingdom that could top that thing that has become an idol that we're still holding on to and that we won't let go of. And so, Lord, for those who need to be encouraged, I pray they'd be encouraged. And those who need to be convicted, I pray they'd be convicted. I pray that you would help us, that you would grow us, that you would mature us. In your name, Jesus, amen.